Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Uh, welcome, everybody. We can officially start our um, our Jewish our roundtable, uh, the life of a Jewish believer. My name is Chris Skatolka, and it's a joy to be with you. Um, we've had Steve on and Larna and Eva and Fred and Mitch for probably more than twenty five minutes, and then right when it, we needed Steve to be on. He, uh, as he liked to says, he blooped out. So we're going to wait for him to come back in. But as he does that, I want to welcome you to the FOI Equip, which is your opportunity to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And I want to share with you some ways that you can get involved and things that you can take away from all this if you're watching right now. So let me go ahead and share my screen with you and connect you with with some upcoming things uh, that we have going on here at uh at uh, FOI Equip. So let me get this going here and uh, enter the full screen so that you can see. The first is our upcoming classes for FOI Equip, everybody. I'm very excited about these classes that we have. Well, of course, tonight is uh, the Life of a Jewish Believer Roundtable. Um, but next month, starting on March 9th, a three-week series on Messianic prophecy that will be taught by Tom Simcox. There'll be information that comes out soon through our email and through the marketing at Friends of Israel. And so we're looking forward to that. Tom does a fantastic job teaching, especially with all of his history of teaching about Messianic prophecy. So again, that will be March 9th, 16th and 23rd. You can register. Again, uh, it's a steal of a deal. They're free classes. And then in April, we're going to do a Holocaust remembrance for one night on April 13th. And I'm thinking, Steve and I were talking about this. Uh, we're thinking about throwing in a Passover demonstration in April as well. But um, we'll give you more details uh, in a little bit on that. But again, if you're interested and you're here right now and you want to be a part of these upcoming classes, you can go to foiequip.org and you can register right now for all of them. The next thing I want to share with you is, uh, look, at we're, it's a, a roundtable for Jewish believers. And so we have a few resources for you, uh, like this one right here, the Jewish Culture and Customs. You know, Steve was complaining earlier that he didn't get a book launch party. Well, here you go, Steve. Here's your book launch party. And there's 107 people that have come for your book launch party. Okay, there you go. Congratulations. And so if you would like to get Steve's book, Jewish Culture and Customs, which really does dive into the rich history of, of the traditions of Judaism um, and will give you a deeper understanding of the Jewish people, I encourage you to go to foi.org forward slash JCC, which stands for Jewish Culture and Customs. And I couldn't leave out, of course, let me make sure this switches here. I couldn't leave out Larna's book too, another book launch, okay? Larna's book on the search, uh, which is her quest for finding truth uh, about God in the afterlife and death and really her, her journey in finding the Lord Jesus. 
Uh, if you would like to get her book and, and purchase that, you can go to gofoi.org forward slash the search. And then let's see here. Ah, coming up soon, we have our Prophecy Up Close conferences. Uh, we're going to be doing a conference series all throughout the country um, on the temple, God's home on earth revealed in prophecy and practice. Now, listen, if you are logged on right now and you're like, this sounds really interesting. I'd love to learn more about the temple, um, you know, what God's plan was for the temple, uh, both practically and prophetically as well. If you would like to join our one day conference, well, you can go to foi.org forward slash prophecy. And that will show you uh, locations that might be around you. But I also want to encourage you to do something. You can email me. You can email Laura Coleman. Um, I'll put our emails in the list here. If you think it, this would be a great topic to bring to your church, we would love to come and, and bring our one-day conference to your church. And so there will, there's, there's some uh, uh, limitations on what kind of church that we can go to based on size and things of that matter, because we we mail out to all the people around your church to get them to come, uh, not just for your home, your home church, but to reach out to the whole community. But again, if you're interested and you'd like to see if your church could host one of these, I'll put my email and Laura's email in the chat box. But I want you to also be sure to go to foi.org forward slash prophecy if you're interested in this. And then finally, hey, listen, one more thing. Are you a friend of Israel? like we all are here. Well, we want to encourage you to get involved with Friends of Israel. And so next week, we're going to have our very first uh, 2023 Get Involved Interest Meeting, which is going to show you not only how you can get involved in FOI Equip classes, you're here, congratulations, but also how you can go deeper into the Friends of Israel through our Bridges program, Encounter, Origins, Hesed, um, our, our volunteer network that's being launched, our trips to Israel, so many various ways to get involved with Friends of Israel. We want to connect you, and the best way to do that is to hear more about it and ways that you can connect with Friends of Israel. Uh, so February 21st, 8.30 p.m., you can go to foi.org uh, forward slash get involved. Okay, that's it, everybody. Thank you for listening to me. Let me make sure I turn this off, and we're going to get started with our program here. Um, let me stop sharing. Let's see if I can. I don't want to. Hold on one second. Um, nope, I don't want to do that. How do I stop share? Oh, I now I know. Here we go. Stop share. Okay. So, hello everybody. Now we're back. Steve, uh, I'm going to start with you. We have a few questions here. The big joke leading up to this is, you know, how are we going to answer any questions with? five Jewish people sitting around the table. And so my first question is this, and Steve, I just want you to answer this quickly. Why is that laughable to think that we have these questions, we have five Jewish people sitting around a digital table, and we're joking about whether or not we'll even answer one question. So why, uh, why so are we laughing at that? I will answer you with the, uh, the biggest Jewish guy that we know beside Jesus, that's Moses. He was writing his swan song. He was writing a book that was kind of to put a, a, a bow on it. And it's one of the longest books. He, he said, I, I really don't have a lot to say. And then he wrote like 33 chapters. <laughs> and that's the theme of what we're doing. 
Okay, that's good. Good example. All right, so I'm, I'm going to throw this out. Actually, I want to start with uh, Fred and Eva, and I'll let you two choose who goes first. But I'd like you each in two minutes, if you wouldn't mind for our audience, uh, to share your personal testimony, if you can, uh, uh, in a two-minute elevator pitch. Um, and so would you share your testimony, and I'll let you guys choose who will go first. Okay, ladies first. <laughs> Okay, two-minute testimony. I, I grew up in a um, secular Jewish home, basically. Uh, lived the life of a typical Jewish kind of middle-class person. And the, the thing that really shook me up in my life was when my mother, who was a Holocaust survivor, uh, she survived Auschwitz. Uh, when she got cancer and died a very you know painful death at age 57 mm. that was the thing that really shook me up in life thinking you know what's the point what I don't understand what's this all about and that got me to the point where I was searching and investigating what actually is Judaism all about what do we what is this besides the typical holidays and uh, the food and the festivities and all that. And anyway, um, I was investigating that. And at that time, somebody gave me a Bible, a King James, red letter, Old and New Testament. And I just began to read that Bible, uh, starting at the beginning, like any other book and just reading it through. And you know, it was just so obvious to me that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. It was clear and obvious. And it was a big struggle for me because I figured like, what? I don't understand. What? And I would ask all my Jewish friends, how come we don't believe in Jesus? <laughs> and of course, nobody knew. Nobody actually had an answer. It was just a policy decision that was made thousands of years ago, which is what, what, what actually happened. And um, long story short, uh, one day after this intellectual struggle, reading my Bible, it just, you know, God just took that veil off of my heart. And all of a sudden, I just, I got it. I realized from reading the word of God that I was a sinner and that Jesus the Jewish Messiah died for my sin mm. and that God sent his son to die for me. And it, the whole thing just kind of in a flash was clear to me. And I just, I just fell down on the ground. I was by myself in my living room and just began to weep and repent of my sin. And I don't know how long I was on the floor there, but when I got up, I, I was born again. I was just a totally wow. changed person. Not perfect. My husband is here. Close, <laughs> <laughs> close to it. <laughs> but, uh, so, what I always have to say it was that it was the word of God. Hallelujah. That's great. Thank you, Eva. Fred, how about you? Amen. My testimony. I met Eva in church. Saw her the first time. Told my friend, "Let's go and marry." Married her. That's my. <laughs> Not my testimony though, but <laughs> it was amazing. So for me, a little similar. I um, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. All, all, you know, all Jewish friends and Jewish people. And um, 
ended up moving to, to, based on not knowing really where I came from, where I was going, why I was here, couldn't answer those questions. I just decided to um, major in elementary education. So I would teach a half a year, be off half a year, and uh, took my diploma, moved to sunny South Florida, got an apartment on the beach, 1977, I think it was, and just began to live a life of hedonism. I lived for pleasure. I just built my life around doing what I wanted to do all the time. And it was a wicked life, and uh, I was a disgusting human being, really. But anyway, I got involved in, uh, in running and, and uh, marathon running and competitive racing. So for me, at age 30, life was about running faster and farther than anyone else. I was a very deep person at that time. And um, anyway, God began working in my life. And um, some people gave me a little a Bible in a public park. They talked to me. I was quite rude to them. I said, I'm Jewish. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Gave me a New Testament, put it in my hand. They walked away. And there I was, a Jewish guy from Brooklyn. There's a little New Testament in my hand. What do I do now? I was afraid to bring it to my apartment for some strange reason, afraid to throw it away. So I walked to my car, opened the trunk, and threw it under my, under my spare tire, left it there. And during that year, God really began working in my life to the place where my idol was my body and uh, began breaking down so much training. And when I couldn't run, it's probably the scariest time in my life. It was like, all of a sudden, like, why am I here? Like, why wake up tomorrow? Like, what's the purpose of getting up? I can't run and train. It was really, it was like my, my world was shaking, falling apart, built on the sand. And uh, went to my car, found a little, it was wet, got it out, began reading that little Bible. And it was like my mother wrote it, I felt, you know? It just was cutting me right to my heart. And all of a sudden, the life I was living seemed really sinful, and grievous to God. And I just felt like, not only had I done wrong, I'm wrong. It was not, I'm me, my thoughts, my being is all wrong. And this kept plodding through and understanding one day, like Eva said, Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh came to die for me. Wow. So on my apartment floor right there, on my knees, with my face to the ground, I said, God, I am so wicked. I deserve the bottom of hell. I'm trusting in Jesus today. Have mercy on this wicked sinner. Mm -hmm. I got up. I know nothing about discipleship, nothing about church, nothing about anything but this. Jesus was the Messiah, Son of God, bore my sin, rose from the dead, went to the park to all my running friends. They all said, have a nice life. We don't know what happened to you, but nice. And the girls that hung out with the same things. So all my friends left me, rejected me, ultimately. God saved me, gave me an mm. amazing life, amazing life, and with the glory to God. Much like me. Thank you, Fred. That's fantastic. Uh, Mitch, why don't we go from Florida to Pennsylvania? <laughs> and uh, you can share uh, your testimony, your two minutes, but I know two minutes means like the. No, I, I have a two minute testimony I share on the street. I try to share it with a Jewish person every single day. Uh, and, it's, and, I, and God always gives me something to talk to. Basically, I say, I was born and raised in a practicing conservative Jewish home. When I was 22 years old, I came to realize that the Messiah has already come and Jesus' credentials to be Messiah are impeccable. Now, they get mad at me, so I say, I was going to synagogue 
And I felt good about myself there. And I felt clean there. And I loved the liturgical service. And I was really happy there. But outside of synagogue, I was living like a functional atheist. I was living like God didn't even exist. Hmm. And I was just doing my thing. And one day I was invited to a coffee house where the kids were preaching the gospel. And uh, they showed me the things I was experiencing with the scriptures called sin. And they showed me how, how the Messiah was the solution to God's to the sin problem. And I placed my faith in God's solution. I instantly knew the big difference between feeling clean and being cleansed, between feeling good about myself and being declared righteous. So that's, that's Thank you. two minute one. <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right, Lorna, how about you, sister? Well, um, I grew up like Mitch in a conservative Jewish home, and uh, I went to Hebrew school and everything else. And I never, ever, I I never would have considered uh, being anything but Jewish. I like being Jewish, and I I prayed to God, and I prayed. Uh, you know, I thought I had a relationship with God. I loved God. I believed in God. And I had no. I, I was Jewish and everybody else who wasn't worshiped a human being. So it, in my mind, that made them pagans and me a true believer. And then I married a man who, whose mother was a devout believer. And she had a relationship with God, a very personal, personal relationship through Christ. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. And she talked about the Lord. She'd, she'd tell her kids, you know, you shouldn't do that. The Lord doesn't like that. And Judaism for me was never about practical living so much. It, I mean, I had a faith. I, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't Orthodox. I didn't go through all of the Orthodox ritual. And uh, Mrs. Bennett, my mother-in-law, she didn't have ritual. To me, if you were really serious you know you you practice judaism uh more along the orthodox way that's the visible manifestation of of uh observance you know and i didn't do that but i still you know i had a, i felt that i was doing everything i needed to do and she didn't have any rituals that she did at all she was Baptist and, you know, she went to church and all that, but she had a, a relationship that I saw, a very close relationship with the living God that I had never seen. It wasn't just sitting with a prayer book, you know, and davening and all that. She, she got down on her knees in the morning and I saw her in, in the kitchen. She would do her devotions. And at night, she would get down on her knees in her bedroom and she would pray. And she talked about the Lord as though he were her best friend. Her, her, he, he was everything to her. And she would tell me things that happened that he had done for her. It was practical. It was personal. And she was absolutely sure that when she died, she was going to heaven. It was just not a question. So that really, I wanted what she had. I wanted that relationship. And I started to look over all the big Hebrew education I had and everything. And I had no assurance that when I died, I was going to go to heaven. And I had no, and, you know, I didn't see myself as a sinner particularly either. 
So that was an issue. And uh, I asked my husband, I said, you know, why I feel like Eva, I said, why don't Jewish people believe in Jesus? I, you know, why don't we? Because I had a feeling that the only way I was going to get what she had was she was getting it through Jesus and Jesus wasn't for Jews. There was no way Jesus was for Jews, but I didn't understand why, why isn't Jesus for Jews? And my husband said, well, honey, I can't answer that question. You're going to have to ask a rabbi, but I don't think Jesus, I don't believe Jesus was just a man. I, and I looked at him as pure man and Gentiles worshiped a man that they thought, you know, anyway. So my husband said, I believe he was God. I said, really? And he said, I believe he was God who came to earth. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. How can God come to earth? <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. And the, I was, as I was thinking that, the thought came into my head, look, if he, and this had to be from the Holy Spirit. If God is God, God can do anything he wants to do. And if he wants to come to earth, be born of a woman, who's going to stop him? <laughs> Who, how can you stop God? He'll do what he wants. And then I became, that's when I had a desperate need to know the truth. And that was the quest I found myself on. I had to know what was true. Because if I was wrong, then I was going to hell. And I was terrified of going to hell. And that's when I began to see myself as a sinner. And I began to look over all my Hebrew education. And there was no guarantee that when I died, like Mrs. Bennett, I was going to heaven. There was just, you know, the Old Testament's got a lot of judgment and punishment. And you can't read the book of Leviticus without seeing sin at every corner. And I started to see myself as a sinner. And then I began to worry, if I'm a sinner, I knew about the temple. I knew we had to do sacrifices. I knew that God demanded that, and I believed God, that he demanded sacrifice. Where was my sacrifice? I had no temple. There wasn't a sacrifice I could bring. And I was in deep trouble. And I knew the history of what the Jewish people had done to the prophets. And I knew we stoned our prophets. I, I studied the Old Testament. I knew Isaiah. I knew Jeremiah. I knew all God was, he was always mad at us. He was always angry and telling us that, you know, we weren't doing this right. We weren't doing that right. And we weren't, we weren't honest and we weren't this and we weren't that. And I thought, wait a minute. If, if we, what if we did the same, what if God actually sent the Messiah? Just what if? And we do the same thing to him that we did to the prophets. Then I knew I was in big trouble. I had to know the truth. And it was very difficult. I, you know, you feel guilty as a Jew. I felt guilty even reading the New Testament. But I got hold of the book of John. I was in a hotel room and I, there was a Gideon Bible and I started reading the gospel of John. And uh, then my, my best friend, uh, got saved a year before I did, but she didn't tell me she was Jewish. And she's to this day, she's like a sister to me. And she didn't dare say anything to me, but she started praying and praying and praying. And I went out to California and I met with her and I told her what I was going through. And I said, you know, 
I'm beginning to wonder, I mean, we've been wrong before. I mean, it's not like the Jews are always right about everything. I mean, we've been wrong. What if we're wrong about Jesus? Then what about me? What's going to happen to me? So uh, she took me aside and she said, I have to tell you something. And I said, what's that? And she said, I've become a Christian. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, not one of those born again Christians, right? <laughs> and she said, yes. And she explained the gospel. It was the first time in my life I ever understood the gospel. She explained it very clearly. And then I was even more tormented. So uh, she told me to read The Liberation of Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And that's when I understood that the he he was going through the book of Hebrews. And that's when I understood that all the temple sacrifices were just a temporary thing until the one perfect sacrifice once for all could be made. And that was actually God himself in the person of the Messiah of Israel. And that's when I got saved. It was a, a quest I was on. And uh, the Lord saved me and my life's never been the same. It's just been wonderful. I thank him every day for my, my salvation. Every Amazing, day. Amazing. Thank you. All right, Steve, bring us home. Well, first of all, except for Mitch, I have a new understanding of two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch does win the two minute award. I This is a Jewish two minutes uh, and I've appreciated each one. Well, for me, I went to Hebrew school four days a week. I was bar mitzvah. I went to Sunday school. I was synagogue, something related to synagogue every day. Sunday uh, school is not church Sunday school, to clarify. Oh, Sunday school for <laughs> us started at 9 a.m. and lasted to noon. So if In somebody the says they got too many church services, I'm not sympathetic at all. I had to go to from elementary school between th uh, the bus picked me up at uh, 3.30 and we met from 4 to 5.30, four days a week. And then synagogue... Uh, I, I went with my dad on Friday night and and then Shabbat. My mother always had a wonderful meal on Friday night. Uh, and that that was it. Uh, so uh, I laid to fill in. Uh, I had a paper route and I laid to fill in before it was a morning route. Uh, so I knew I was a sinner by the eighth grade. Uh, and I knew that there was no way that I could follow the law 100%, 100% of the time. So just like everybody else, sin was very apparent to me. It, it, I think it hits us at different times. Uh, the Spirit of God is involved and conviction comes in. But anyway, I met my first born-again person at 18 year, when I was 18 at Kent State University. I, he witnessed and told me I was going to hell. That was a, not a great way to be introduced. Uh, I was ready to hurt him physically. Uh, anyway... Uh, uh, over a period of time in the early early 70s, those were very interesting days. Uh, I roomed with, uh, there were two Jewish guys, a Black Panther, and I don't mean the animal, I mean a guy who was in the Black Panther, Catholic, Greek Orthodox, atheist, um, and a born-again Christian. And he lived the life, I thought he was strange, but I was very, I, I noticed how he lived. And then I went to a Bible study at the end of my college career. My sister, who hopefully is still listening, uh, she had become a believer. If I if I would have known she was, I wouldn't have gone to visit her, but I didn't know. 
and I went to a Bible study that was serving free bagels, lox, and cream cheese, all I could eat, and no one would bug me. I didn't listen to the speaker, and I ate. I was then I could pack it away. I probably ate fifty bucks worth of lox, uh, <laughs> but there were some brochures there that I took home with me, and it told me the same thing that I was a sinner. And there was a little New Testament prophecy edition, and I looked them up. I can't tell you I looked up all 300, but I looked them up. And as a result of that, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and that Bible study was put on by the Friends of Israel. Mm. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Uh, This is a good time for me now that you've done all this to introduce everybody briefly. I'll start with Steve, who just went. Steve Herzig is the Vice President of North American Ministries for Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. So you can see how the Lord used that Bible study uh, just a couple of years ago, right, Steve? To Just a couple of years ago. That was, I was 22 and I'm 69. That's right. And now he is uh, Vice President of North American Ministries for Friends of Israel, overseeing all the uh, the outreach activities that we have in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Mitch Treesman, who's next to him on, on, uh, on my screen, uh, is uh, a former Friends of Israel representative in the Philadelphia area who had a mm-hmm. tremendous and continues to have a tremendous ministry um, uh, uh, to the Jewish community right here in the Philadelphia area. Above him on my screen is Lorna Simcox, who's our former editor-in-chief of Israel My Glory magazine at Friends of Israel, uh, an author um, of The Search, and she continues to serve with Friends of Israel and to help with the magazine as well. And then on the other side of me are Fred, Fred and Eva Schwag, not just Fred, not just Eva, but Fred and Eva. They're down in Florida um, doing ministry on college on a college campus for the Friends of Israel as well. And uh, they've been Fred and Eva. You've been with us for 12 years now. Is that what it is? 12? No. 2007. 2007. Okay. wow. Even longer. So um, so this is our great group of people that we have together. You know, my question, my next question is this, and Steve, since you ended, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm interested to know, you, you briefly touched on it, but um, can you share your background in Judaism a little bit more, um, give a little more depth to it and how that defines you and maybe even defines you today? Uh, many years later, the the the, the upbringing that you had, because I'd like our our audience to see the spectrum of Judaism that is re- that is represented here. Yep, I um I went to a as I said a synagogue. It's an Orthodox synagogue uh, that I attended, and uh, it it was what or not Hasidic but Orthodox. And it it brought home, you know, we celebrated Sukkot with the sukkah. We were in cynic, cynic, uh, Shabbos service lasted from uh, eight o'clock until noon. Uh, There's a lot of liturgy. When we lived with my grandmother, we kept kosher, and so you have the milchiks and the and the uh, the fleshik and the and the two sets of uh, of utensils. And uh, I remember if you go to synagogue, you wore a suit. You didn't, you didn't come with jeans and sneakers. You had a yarmulke. We wore a yarmulke because God is always above us. Uh, I went to a high school that uh, for 10th, 11th, and 12th had 3,500 students. My graduating class was 1,200, and about 900 of them were Jewish. Wow. And that tells you why I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. 
uh, because probably the first 250 went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford. I went to Kent State University. Um, so uh, Judaism is everything, community. Um, my mom's probably listening and she'd be the first to tell you it matters what other people think. You don't wanna shame your family. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, my father told me, don't date a shiksa. Uh, and I didn't date a shiksa until I went to college and then I didn't tell him. And so I tasted forbidden fruit. I wanna know what was it like to go out with a shiksa. Uh, and so I went out with a few of them. Uh, but defaming the name uh, is big. Uh, and that's why a lot of Jewish people struggle. Guilt is a big thing. It's real. You don't want to, if you love your parents, you don't want to shame them. Uh, you don't want to bring a bad name to them. But in the 70s, which is when I was a, a, a late teenager, and then uh, by the time I, uh, I graduated college as a 22-year-old, uh, I had to deal with the same thing you've heard all our other guests deal with, and that's the word sin. And I knew I was a sinner because I knew the 613 laws which we studied. And it just told me that there's no way, I believed in Messiah, I believe Messiah was coming, but uh, there was no way that in a 24-hour period, which is what some Orthodox teach, if you could keep one Shabbat, one Sabbath, one Shabbat for all Jewish people around the world, Messiah will come. Think about that. I used to say, that ain't going to happen. No <laughs> way. That is not going to happen. Uh, but I believed he was coming, and I really didn't know that much. I struggled like Lorna did when I was confronted with the idea of a virgin having a baby. When I remember in college, I told a, a Christian friend of mine, I said, come on. Mary fooled around. They had to think of a story. That story stuck. And there you go. But if you look at the scriptures, wait a minute. Abraham's wife, Sarah, had a baby. And she was 90 years old. And he was 100. And just like Lorna, it's very similar when I heard Lorna, wait a minute. If a 100-year-old man could father a 90-year-old woman uh, uh, with a baby, then that's a miracle. Then if one miracle could happen, then any miracle could happen. And that's what you, you begin to seriously think of the claims of the New Testament as you realize that the New Testament couldn't have been written except for the Older Testament text. So, but Jewish community is a community. It's a lovely community. It's held together by, by food. It's held together by uh, holidays. It's held together by a strong family, the Holocaust. Hamish. It's, oh yeah, Hamish. <laughs> Tell them about Hamish, Chris. Hamish means hospitable. You gotta be Hamish. So you go over somebody's house. You came over to our house. My mother used to say, when I brought my friends over, there's the fridge. We're not formal here. Take what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I that's the way the Jewish community is. And so, and that's good. And I would submit to you that when a Jewish person comes to Christ with that kind of background, boy, God, God does a marvelous thing by taking those great points and uh, fine-tuning them. Uh, and you'll hear from each of our uh, panelists here 
uh, how God took their background, which is different than mine and different from each other. Uh, and like, for instance, uh, Fred, when he's on the campus, he understands how the college mind thinks, because as he said, he was living a pretty atheistic life. He was trying to please himself. And to be honest, that's what a lot of college kids do. That's what I did. Uh, I'm away from home. Uh, and he can identify with that. And in a gracious way, he gets into conversations with people. Mitch deals with uh, shopkeepers. Man, when, when, when um, Mitch goes in Philadelphia and opens the door of a shop uh, and talks to them, they melt with him. Uh, it's just amazing. And, and you have Eva who, because of her background, a, a, just a, a sad, uh, but at, yet blessing, the idea of a Holocaust survivor who goes on and has children. What a blessing. But she understands what pain is, and she understands how uh, suffering and uh, difficulty is. And, and Lorna, of course, who didn't tell us, but uh, she lost her father at a young age, uh, first her mother, and then her father a little later. And she and her, uh, her brother were really without parents uh, when Lorna was in college and her brother was still in high school. And she can identify with people who are hurting, deep hurt. And so God uses all these things with our culture and background uh, so that we, if we're willing, and everyone here, including the Gentile guy, is willing. Uh, we're willing to share our story, to encourage. And that's what Friends of Israel is all about. And that connects us as well. I'd like to go to, so Steve grew up in the Orthodox Jewish background. Um, Eva, uh, you grew up in, I heard you mention it, you grew up in the sec, in a secular Jewish home. Is that right? Oh, you're muted there. You're still muted. Eva, you're muted. Sorry. There you go. I, um, I always, I grew up with a very strong sense of Jewish identity, uh, not from going to the temple, the Orthodox temple, which we did go just on the high holidays. And my mother would light those Shabbat candles. Um, I went to a high school, which was probably 98% Jewish. The whole high school would close down during the high holy days because no one would be there. Uh, but what I wanna say is that my sense of Jewish identity came primarily from the fact that my, my parents were Holocaust survivors for, and they, they went through this horror for no other reason, but because they were Jews. Mm -hmm. And so the whole Jewish identity, uh, it was just part of my life. And their friends, as I was growing up, were predominantly the, uh, the other Holocaust survivors, whoever survived, and a, a group of them moved to Chicago. So what was the question? No, <laughs> I was, that was good. It, I, it was just exactly what you said. How, you know, it, Steve grew up going to the shul, grew up, you know, um, in an Orthodox Jewish background, and I'm sure for all of our, everyone watching, they have that image of Steve as a young boy in the synagogue, but you know, you're saying, you know, you would go on the high holy days, but you, you said something else, but your family was secular in some ways, 
but you were saying it was still your identity. And I wanted you to peel that out a little bit more because, uh, and, and it seemed like you rooted it back to the fact that your, your mother was a Holocaust survivor and that. Both of them were. And by the way, the other thing to mention is that my sister, when she was 18, she ran away, basically eloped and married a Gentile. Mm. And that was, that was like the end of the world. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, it just, the whole, our whole world exploded over that. Not mine, but because basically, it was basically my mother. So the whole Jewish thing was very strong and very deep rooted. And um, as far as Jesus, that was just, you know, I yeah. mean, of this person, Jesus, but there was never any, any real uh, talk about him or anything. Fred, you're there um, and you're unmuted. So I'm just going to go back to, to you there. What I didn't hear what kind of family uh, you grew up in. Could you share about that? How did you identify in a Jewish spectrum? <laughs> Long story. No, I grew up in a very middle-class uh, Brooklyn neighborhood, Brooklyn parents. So there was no real, I mean, by Mitzvah age 13 with the Hebrew school, you know, I drove their teacher crazy, you know, but have my bar mitzvah, memorized the Haftorah, and after I was done with that, I was done. It had no meaning for me, really. Um, but I remember being in high school, seeing girls walk around with crosses. It was still something that I, I had to look away. It was like something deep in me, I guess, you know, um, at that point. But for me, it was really, for me, it was truth. Like I saw life as being, this can't just be it. You grow up, you get married, you work. 40 years, you, you would get a gold watch and you sit and you watch it. <laughs> it didn't seem like this can't be what it's about. I knew there had to be more, I didn't know what. So for me, it was about truth. You know, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? But um, yeah, so for me, being Jewish was more like, it was. Oh, we were all Jewish, it wasn't a big thing that we didn't talk about it that much, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mitch, you, you said you, now, so, we, you know, we were on the secular end of things. We were on the orthodox end of things. You you labeled yourself a conservative. So if we're looking at the spectrum, you know, Steve's in the orthodox world. We have secular. And then in the middle, is it, are you in the middle or are you, where, where does that fall, Mitch? Well, first of all, I want to say the reason I've been so subdued tonight is because Steve medicated me before the meeting. And uh, <laughs> the sedatives are just now wearing off, so watch out. Um, <laughs> Uh, my father was a vigilante for conservative Judaism. He uh, he he felt uh, that we were somehow second-class citizens because we weren't orthodox. So we did a lot of very very orthodoxy things, like we kept kosher in the home, but that that but we ate Chinese food out. You're allowed to, and we don't ask questions. You know uh, the the other white meat. Uh, we don't we don't ask. But uh, uh, we knew we were eating treif. But we had two refrigerators, and we, it was always a question, what do you do with the Chinese food when you bring it home? <laughs> Which, uh, you know, we don't have a tray refrigerator. But um, uh, I walked this show with my dad, and I'll, let me share a few things that were really, really kind of neat. I I was a group in a group called AZA. It's like a, but a uh, what, what would you have? A, a, American a, Zionist Association. Girls. Uh, it was a it was a uh, thing for, for Jewish youth. And um, when I, I was voted in Aleph Mora, 
I didn't go to a meeting, so they made me an honor of mother, which is the, the head teacher, which really means that once a month we have a Friday night service for, uh, and the, the, we had, we did met every Friday night, obviously, but uh, once a month the youth group would run the service. And so we would do the Olenio and the Don Olam and the Ekelahane and the Shema and the, and the, in the, the Kaddish and all the prayers. And my job was to make sure that somebody was assigned to do the prayer every every week. And of course, so-and-so wouldn't show up. So I did the Amidah that week. And then I did the Olenio next week. I did the Yonka. And after a while, I knew the whole liturgical service by heart. And I can't tell you how much that served me in ministering to Jewish people, going to an elderly person in a either shop or a nursing home and start praying the davening with them. And they remember the songs, they remember the prayers, and it just opens up doors. Now, I was stationed in Fort Monmouth, and uh, one day one of the one of the KP's uh, uncle died, and they wanted to have a he wanted to have a memorial service. So we we went to the company clerk and we said, Do you have 10 Jews on the fort? So he went through the records and got us 10 Jews. We had a minion and we did Kaddish and we liked it so much. He said, let's do it again next week. So I killed another uncle. No. So we, we went ahead without the death and we just had a Friday night service. And we, we started having these meetings. And before you know it, we had, we had 15, 20, 25 Gentiles were coming out. Jews were coming out. It was a real great thing to do. Uh, so um, they said, you know, we could, Mitch, you run the service nice, but we need a preacher. And I couldn't preach. Some people, I still can't. But uh, uh, so I would go into town and visit the Jewish shopkeepers. Can you imagine that? I was an unsaved Jewish guy and I'd struck up conversations. I learned how to open up spiritual conversations with shopkeepers when I was, before I was a believer. And I've, I've used that all my life. I, I walk in, and I asked him about his experience as a Jewish person, face any anti-Semitism. And I said, if you had one message, one story that you had to tell Jewish people, what would you tell them? And these guys all had a great story and a great sermon, very, very humorous, very well presented. So I would bring these guys in as preachers. And um, uh, one day I met a guy on a bus who was studying Hebrew. And I sat down next to him because I love to show off. And uh he turns out he's a Jew who believes in Jesus. And he shows me prophecy and fulfillment and Old Testament. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. But I'm looking for speakers. So I said, why don't you come in out on a Friday night and bring this shtick here? And he said, you're kidding. I said, no. <laughs> I got, you got 40 Jewish guys. Come on out and bring, bring what do you call them? The ghost book? God, whatever. Bring it. I don't care. So he said, they'll get angry. And they don't mind as long as you can speak. So I got there and I introduced them. When he started, they started to get really hostile. And I said, what are you giving him a hard time? He's my guest. Yeah. And, and they gave me a harder time. So afterwards, uh, he said it was better than he thought it would be. But I said at my first evangelical meeting, I wasn't, I had no idea what was going on. None. I just thought he was a nice guy and uh, he could bring the message. He invited me back to his house. So we could discuss heaven and hell and life and death and salvation. And I said, I'll come. But the following Monday, I got I got orders to go to Vietnam. And you see, my priorities were so tight. I said, you know what? I can go over there and get killed. I don't want to spend my last weekend studying Bible. You know, I want to go party. So I told him, I can't make it. I'll see it in a year. And, uh, and that's how I was. Anyway, just to show you how God was preparing me 
to do shop to shop, to, to run Jewish services, and to be able to do Hebrew prayers. And before I was able to believe it, God was preparing me. And reminds me of the fact that, um, you know, when, when I was without strength in due time, uh, he was preparing me, equipping me when I was uh, still running away from him. Kind mm. of mm. Lorna, how about you? I know that I, if I remember correctly in your testimony, you know, your mom and your dad had a different take on Judaism. And maybe you can yeah. share about that, because like I said, if we're looking at the spectrum, you know, Steve's on the Orthodox end. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, conservative and and uh, more secular minded um, or even reformed in some ways. What what tell me about your family, your upbringing, how that well, made your um, identity. My my mother grew up. Well, my mother originally was from Ukraine and she came to Canada all by herself. Her family um, made her go. Um, because there were pogroms, and I think they thought she was going to be killed if they didn't get her out of the country. She went to her uncle's house in Montreal, and um, she he was Orthodox and old world, you know. So she was she basically grew up Orthodox, and she she loved the Lubavitchers. Uh, she used to tell me when I was growing up that the Lubavitchers were the, really the holy ones and the tzaddiks and the righteous and all that. And I grew up with great respect for Lubavitch. The Lubavitchers are the ultra-Orthodox that wear the long, you know, the black clothes and all that. And um, she used to light the, can the Sabbath candles and she wanted to join the synagogue. Uh, but my father... Uh, and but my mother also she lost her brother in the Holocaust and she lost her sister-in-law and she lost her, her all her nieces and nephews they were all murdered I think her brother was probably part of from what I can gather now he was probably killed at Baba Yar uh, the big Jewish massacre was horrible and um, my father uh, because of the Holocaust he was an atheist and he said if if there were a god he wouldn't have allowed this horrible you know people don't realize how bad it was the the torture it, they apart from mass murder uh, they the nazis experimented on the jews uh, they it, i read so much from when i grew up with all this you know all this knowledge because my parents never hid the fact that the Jewish people have been persecuted for centuries and centuries. And I, it's like I always knew about the Holocaust. I don't ever remember not knowing about it. I remember when I was in second grade in Hebrew school, I would go to the synagogue library and take books out to read that were horrible books for kids to read. But I read them. And I, I always knew about Hitler. I always knew what happened. And uh, so I had a very strong identification as with Jewish people. I, I didn't feel comfortable when I wasn't with Jewish people. My father, who, although he was an atheist, he would never allow me to date anyone who was not Jewish. It wasn't a religious thing with him. It was... Uh, a matter of 
uh, race. You belonged with your own people and everyone else will hate you because you're a Jew and they're going to try and destroy the Jews. So you have to stick with your own people. You will never be accepted by the Goyim. And this, he didn't, it's not like he constantly said it, but I knew that he said it and I, I knew what he was talking about. I knew what happened in Europe and uh, I believed it. So I was very involved with the synagogue. I, when I went to, when I was in school, I was always in Hebrew school. I went all the way through Hebrew high school, three days a week after school and on, you know, Sundays. And uh, I knew I was in the Young Judea, which is youth group. And then I was in United Synagogue Youth and I went to Hebrew camp. And I, I every possible thing you can think of, when the doors were open, I was there. I sang in the choir. I, after my bat mitzvah, they wanted me to sing in the adult choir. So I sang in the adult choir and I did everything. I was at all the bar mitzvahs. I was at all the bat mitzvahs. You know, I was Jewish and I was happy with that. But after my parents died and I was working as a, a newspaper reporter, um, I didn't have time for synagogue. I didn't have time for any of that. And then I slowly drifted away from the activities, but I never drifted away from knowing that I was a Jew. And uh, it was only the Lord who brought a, a Baptist <laughs> into my life. And you know, when James and I got engaged, um, I didn't know if I could go through with it. I just didn't know. And I, I didn't know how it was going to work. How could I marry someone who wasn't Jewish? I never, ever dated anyone who wasn't Jewish. He was the first non-Jew I ever dated even. But, you know, my parents were both gone. My brother had married, my brother, I didn't realize, but my brother married a Presbyterian girl, a shiksa. But I didn't know that that my brother was already saved. He was afraid to say anything to me, but my brother had already gotten saved. My sister-in-law got saved through Campus Crusade when uh, they, we were all at the University of Vermont and she got saved through Campus Crusade and then my brother got saved, but he would never, he was saved for years. And uh, it took me three years to tell him I got saved. And he told me he'd been saved for like six years, but he didn't dare tell me anything. So. Um, I, I'm, I still identify as Jewish in the sense that I was born Jewish and that is something that no one will ever be able to take away from me just because I believe that God fulfilled his promises to the, to the Jewish forefathers by sending the Messiah when he sent him as he prophesied where he sent him and the reason he sent him, he fulfilled everything. That doesn't make me less Jewish believing it. It makes me more Jewish, you know? So uh, I had a struggle with that too. I think a lot of Jewish people struggle maybe after they get saved because you feel at the beginning like you've been a traitor to everything that your parents taught you. But when I went through that, I prayed a lot and the Lord showed me Romans 1.16, you know, that, that, uh, it's really what God intended for all Jews is to believe in Jesus. And unfortunately, through the history of what's through Jewish history, uh, you know, my little soapbox is I hate Satan. 
I, I will be cheering so loud when he ends up in the lake of fire because he takes everything that's Jewish and he tries to make it goyesha and to hurt the Jews with it. And he took Jesus, who really belongs to the Jewish people. He's not the Gentile Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the savior of the world, but he's not the Messiah of the world. He's the savior of the world, but he's the Messiah of Israel. And God took the Messiah of Israel, made him the savior of the whole world. But Satan wants it to look like everything is the church, you know, the mostly Roman Catholic church and everything is, you know, Goyesha and none of it is Jewish, but it's all Jewish. It's all Jewish. But it took me a long time. I had to study the Bible. I began to read the prophecies in English instead of spending my life trying to translate them from Hebrew into English yeah, like you do in Hebrew school. They don't ever tell you what it means <laughs> and how important the sense of what you're reading is. They just want to make sure that you can translate it. Well, give me an English Bible and then I'll, you know, I don't have to worry about translating it and I'll tell me what it actually means. But um so anyway, I'm, I went off on it. Well, I actually, I want to, I want to tap into the the struggle that you felt and how you were talking about the fact that uh, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, because it's, it's interesting when you talk to a Christian today, especially a Gentile Christian, and you try to explain to somebody that there's a, a Jewish believer and they go, oh, so they converted from... Right. Mm -hmm. Judaism or Jewish to being a Christian. Well, no, no, mm -hmm. not, you know, and, but wait a minute. But I thought there was like, you know, so they're Christian now. Well, yes, but so they're not Jewish anymore. No. Well, and so there's, you know, you were feeling, I think all of you talk about feeling the struggle. I, it's funny when we talk with Christians, uh, Gentile Christians, it's, it, you know, it's a struggle because you know, you're trying to make the connections come together. Steve, maybe you can start this off because I'd be interested to know, and I'll just throw it out there to all of you. You know, we, I was, you, you told me about how somebody defined you uh, when you were going to speak at a church, they called you something and we all kind of had a laugh at it, but I would like to hear if there are other kind of funny things as people try to identify a Jewish believer. What was the one that the, you, you got when you went to a church, you know, years ago? I went to a church in um, Florida and a wonderful couple picked me up. They were in charge of the advertising and there were, there were advertising all over the, the, on the church bulletin board and all around, heaven bound Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing my head off, heaven bound Hebrew. And, but he was, that's, that's where I think each of us would say, what was interesting for me was to find out Bible reading Gentiles, believers, love the Jewish people. Amen. Love them unconditionally. Uh, I met a, uh, a, 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 a black African who was visit. She was, she and her husband were missionaries and she just read her Bible. She was visiting and I was coming home. I didn't even know she was there. And so here's this woman from Africa and Alice is talking to her with the lady that brought her. And Alice introduced me and say, this is my husband. He's a Jewish believer. She said, you're Jewish like Jesus. And she said, please, can I touch you? 
<laughs> she never met a Jewish person, period, let alone one who believed. And so, yeah, heaven-bound Hebrew. I've been called, in <laughs> uh, down south, I'm called, hey, we have ourselves a Jew. They didn't say it in a bad way, but it came out funny. Uh, Messianic Jew, Hebrew Christian, uh, it, it, all different names. And I'm sure our panelists can give other examples. Yeah, does anybody else have a name that stood out to you that kind of was the combination at all? This one time a pastor took up an offering and said, now be sure you dig down real dig, deep and send this Jew back to New York City to reach them Jews for Christ. So, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. Anybody you know, else? Yeah. I, say, I think people can't understand how can you be a Hebrew Christian or a Jewish believer in Jesus? Because it seems that the one thing that and it's not it's not correct, but the the one thing that you can't do and still be Jewish is believe in Jesus. You can be a Buddhist and the Jewish people will still think you're Jewish if just, you know, they don't care. You can be an atheist. But once you believe in Jesus, that's like for them, the breaking point. You can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. That's because we believe Jesus is God. And that's blasphemous. And um, and to this day, I meet Jewish people who have been believers for years, and they struggle by by saying Jehovah is Jesus. They can't say it. It's tough for them. Uh, it's I even feel a little verklempt once in a while because of the upbringing that uh, you know you can't believe that a man is God, and uh, that's blasphemous. So you grow up like that. Well, and I guess that's uh, another part of this question, too, is uh, do you think that once a Jewish person becomes a believer, they lose their identity? Because, you know, when I see in when I read the New Testament, I actually see it the other way around. What I see are if you as Paul is ministering throughout the, you know, uh, uh, throughout the world. You know, he's as pagans are coming to faith in Jesus, they're ab they're they're abandoning their ways and they are turning to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you know, today though, the, the question is, does a Jewish person lose their Jewish identity? Chris, are you looking at the panelists? <laughs> Just take a look and listen. Do Jews no, lose their identity? It. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> we don't lose our identity. We bathe in it. <laughs> some some Jewish believers who were not very Jewish before they became believers throw themselves into Judaism. Hundred percent. That's true. They have to, out of guilt, and uh, they start keeping Shabbos. They start making yeah. it kosher, and they they become more Jewish than they ever were. Uh, you know, so. Fred and Eva, I haven't heard from you yet. I'm interested what you're thinking. What I'm thinking is that everybody's different. I don't think there's a one size fits all to answer that question. Obviously, you cannot lose your Jewish identity. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish, whether you want to admit it or not. But I think it depends on the person and it depends on the culture. When we were living in Israel, for example, you know, every everything was the holidays, every, you know, you're just, 
I guess, more Jewish if, if there is such a thing. But um, I also think it, you know, sometimes it depends on if a Jewish person has a Gentile spouse, then the, the, uh, the Jewish person might, for whatever the reason, kind of tend to embrace, you know, the whole, you know, how do I say it, like the Christmas and the Easter instead of Passover, all of that. So I think it just depends on the person. What, what did you say? Oh, the, yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, I think one thing that always bothered me was why everyone, once I got saved, why was everyone calling Jesus, calling him Christ all the time? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to this day, it still doesn't really bother me, but it's, it's just like, I don't understand. You have this personal relationship with Jesus, just call him by his name. I, I yeah. think that the, the, the church, you know, it's so Gentile, you know, when, if I go to church on Christmas day, I don't usually go to church. If I go and I hear the scripture, unto us a child is given, a son is born, he has to hold me down. I want to get up and say, no, unto us a child is, unto us, unto us, you know, it's just, it, it's so Gentile, so Obviously, when you get saved and, you, and your eyes are open, you understand what's going on. We're living in an age of the church, you know, but still, it's, I think it's us on top with the seminaries and the teaching and the lack of dispensational teaching. It's so, it's so Gentile. It, it's so, it, it's, 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 it, it, for me, I mean, it's a struggle. I don't really feel at home in church. I mean, I go, I'm living in the church age. I'm supposed to do what? I just don't really feel, I feel like an outsider a lot of times, you know, we just, um, it just, there's such a lack of understanding of, of, of the Jew and, and, and the gospel to the Jew first. You go to churches, they have all these missionaries to unreach people groups. I ask them, well, do you support Jewish missions? Like I'm speaking a foreign language. Like, what do you mean? To the Jew first? That's in Romans 1.16. So it's difficult, but it is what it is. And um, somehow we still, it's a mystery. Jew and Gentile together were one man, one new man. But it's definitely still Jews and Gentiles, you know, we're together, but it's God's working it through. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, I, you know, I have one more question for you all, and I'll let you take it from, from here. I'm not going to point each other out, but I'd be interested to know, how coming to faith in Jesus deepened your understanding of what it means to be Jewish? Did it deepen it? Um, uh, what, what, when you came to faith in the Lord, did did he open your eyes to what it meant to be Jewish more? What it meant to be chosen? You know, we, you, the chosen people. Can can you speak into that? What, it definitely deepened my understanding because I didn't really have that much understanding. <laughs> Like I said, except for the superficial kind of holidays and all getting together with Jewish people and all that. But as far as the, you know, maybe some of the, the people that grew up in Orthodox families, they knew more. Uh, so it definitely deepened my understanding. But 
that's because I didn't have that much to begin with. And um, it made me really thankful, obviously, that God saved me. That it's just a miracle. It was not, you know, thinking about Jesus or looking for Jesus. And he knew how to draw me. I think I gave Judaism a good shot <laughs> and, and uh, it didn't get me closer to God and it didn't uh, make me a better person. And like I say, there's a big difference between feeling clean and being cleansed, being feeling good about myself and being declared righteous. When I came to be a believer, um, uh, Judaica, now I study Hebrew and I study the scriptures and I study the rabbis. And I study the, I, I know the, the ninth, uh, the, I know the first nine, 613 commandments and, and all that good stuff. So as far as the witnessing and the apologetics, I know that, but um, being Jewish is not nearly as important as being a believer and belonging to God. Um, and uh, if people say, boy, you were raised in Jewish home. You're so fortunate. If I could take 22 years and traded into being raised as a believer in my mother's knee and learning prayers and learning faith and uh, being raised in a believing home, I would make that decision in a Brooklyn minute. Uh, uh, but um, uh, I, I thank God for my heritage. I thank God for the, the, the culture. Thank God for being born into a Jewish home. But um, Judaism itself is, a, is not nearly as important as faith. And, um, you know, that's. Go ahead, Lorna. Well, I was just thinking that, you know, the whole, the whole uh, bottom line of, for Judaism is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with Amen. all thy might. You know, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you can't really do that. Amen. Unless you understand what God did for you through Jesus Hallelujah. Christ. So to me, that's, that's, that's. Oh, the you know. Shema is really important, but I'll tell you, for me, my first Passover as a believer was, I thought I knew the Passover. I've done it. We went through it three and a half hours, four hours, sitting around the table. And when I was in California, I went to my first uh, Passover demo and I went to watch this man who I really cared about. But I, hey, what could I learn? I've been to enough of these. My jaw dropped open. Uh, I, that to see the Passover, something that I had done all those years, and to see how Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, and thank you, Schwags, because I, I you're you're 100 right. Talk to him by his name. Uh, how Passover fulfilled that, and then when you do go to the Book of Leviticus and you read about the feast days, man, the feasts were given to the Jewish people to Israel. And every one of those feasts points to the Messiah, every single one of them. And so did I feel more Jewish when I got saved? I can't tell you I felt more Jewish, but I can tell you that my Jewishness became more important to me because of how the Bible fits together. It's such a masterpiece. And by the way, Chris, your people get credit for Luke, Job, and Acts. And even that's under scholarly debate. And I'll let them, I'll give you three, but we get 63. It's a Jewish book. And so 
that doesn't mean we brag about it. Uh, in fact, we really can't brag about it because most of it is about, here's how holy God is. Here's how awful you are. Get your act together. Uh, and we haven't gotten our act together as a people from the time we started. So that's what Jesus's business is all about. Helping us, causing us through the spirit of God to get our act together. And then we're part of the church and we still don't have our act together. Amen. And there is a difference too between Judaism and Jewishness. There's a difference there. By the way, Luke was a Luke was Jewish. He was a doctor. And uh, <laughs> know that about that. And Job, you yeah, listen to how he complains. He's, you know, I can't argue just, with you, Mitch. I'm only going with what the scholars say. <laughs> That's good, Mitch. Well, everybody, look, uh, we went over our time. Um, I when I when I sent the questions out to um, uh, to everybody, Eva got back to me and said, "Good luck with the forty-five minute plan to get through those questions." <laughs> and uh, Eva, we went long over forty-five minutes. So there you go. As as Steve Herzig would say, "Zygazen, live and be well." Okay. So thank you, everybody, so much for being a part of our very first FOI Equip Roundtable, um, our uh, Jewish Believer Roundtable. I hope that you were blessed by this. Uh, I know that, I don't know if you all can see this uh, on the panel here, but we've had chats coming in um, all throughout this time. And, uh, you know, early on, as you all were sharing your testimonies, everybody was so thankful to hear how you came to faith in the Lord Jesus and um, and they loved the testimonies. They loved hearing, um, uh, you know, how God was working in your life to draw you to him, to repentance, to forgiveness, uh, to the grace that he provides through Jesus, the Messiah. So I am thankful that we could spend this time together. Um, I'll, I, I'll give, uh, since Steve Herzig is my boss, I'm going to give him the final word and then we're going to call it a night. Well, thanks. I I, I'll tell you, I know each of these panelists. I've heard their stories. I've spent time with them. And I can tell you, this is as fresh uh, as though I just met them. I can't, I'm felling. Uh, <laughs> and I think we should have, Lord willing, Chris, down the line, uh, a part two. Maybe find a couple others along the way. Uh, but I think people, uh, at least some people, are interested. I can't tell you how much I appreciate my colleagues, all of them, and how the Lord has done a wondrous, wondrous work in all of us. And just to challenge those who might be listening, there might be someone who doesn't know the Lord. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, uh, the one and only. And as uh, we already heard from Lorna, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, Hear, O Israel. That's what we're asking our fellow Jewish people. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all your heart. And if you do that and just read the scripture, you will find, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's through the work, the power of the Lord Jesus. So I'll turn it over to the Goy to pray. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Lorna. Fred, Eva, Steve, Mitch, and Lord, how you are preserving a remnant, as you call it, Lord, in the in the book of Romans, a remnant 
um, Lord, that you have set aside. And we are so thankful to be able to hear the testimonies and the stories uh, of growing up and how you led them to the Lord and, and the struggles that they had and the joys that they had. And Lord, how you molded them and shaped them and uh, brought them to a place of not only just of uh, being a believer, but also stepping out into in faith, into, into ministry, to serve you, to share the good news of the Jewish Messiah. So Lord, we, we want to give you this time. Thank you that we get to spend time together in fellowship digitally uh, to hear these great testimonies. And we ask these things in Yeshua, in Jesus' name, a name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.